There's a little-known trilogy of movies that was made back in the late 70s and early 80s. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Um, it's called Star Wars. Don't worry, I won't give anything away in these movies for those who have not seen it. But the climax of the trilogy in Return of the Jedi, the very end, there's a series of battles going on. And it's one of the most amazing, it's one, it's one of my favorite parts of this series. There is a spaceship battle going on in space above a planet, and then there is a battle on the earth between machines and men and little furry bear-like creatures called Ewoks. George Lucas has quite the imagination. That's and you see this battle going on in these two major places. And then you come to the main character, Luke Skywalker, who is battling in himself, being tempted by the two, villain, two major villains, Emperor Palpatine and the dreaded Darth Vader, to join the dark side. And you see the battle waging and going on in the heart of Luke, seeing the battle, he sees the battle outside because he's in the Death Star out in space seeing his allies and his friends in this battle, and he knows on the planet is ha- the same thing is happening, and all of this is tempting him and, and battling within him to see what he ought to do if he should give in to the dark side or not. Now, in real life, however, the battle that's going on is not so clear. In Star Wars, it is very clear that Darth Vader is a bad guy. I mean, he's dressed all in black, and he's got a cape, he's got a helmet, he's got a deep voice. Of course, not everybody who dresses in black has a deep voice, um, is a bad guy. I mean, I like Johnny Cash, too. But it's very clear in the movies who the battle is against. But here, in real life, sometimes the battle is not so clear. We see the rise of the influence of godless political systems around the world. We see lies and cover-up from supposed reliable news sources. We see censorship all around us from governments and big tech. And then there's the daily arguments and squabbles we have within our church, within our own homes, and within the communities around us at work in our neighborhoods. And we see that we're tempted to think that the people that we're seeing do these things, government overreach, or how are we going to handle COVID. And we see the people making the decisions, and we see the arguments we have, and we're tempted to think that my neighbor or a government official in Washington is my enemy. But this passage in Scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, that's where we're going to be, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20, makes it clear that our true battle is a spiritual battle. In this passage, Paul makes it clear to us that the true battle we face is a spiritual battle, and therefore, we must be clothed with Christ and weaponized with the word and prayer. I'll say that again. 
The true battle we face is a spiritual battle. Therefore, we must be clothed with Christ and weaponized with the word and prayer. John read the context of the scripture, and we understand the importance of the context when we get to verse 12 in chapter 6, which says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Like I said, we have a ton of struggles in our relationships. Just think of the last year and a half and the Christian community and the local church. We have had a tough time, brothers and sisters. It's not just happening here in Lakeville. It's happening all around the world. My co-pastor and I meet once a month with other pastors in Austria, and we've had conversations regarding what has happened over the last year and a half with, with the government lockdowns and with us not being able to meet in rented facilities because landlords won't allow us, and whatever else decisions we've had to make as a church, and they're seeing that there is a battle going on in their own church. There are people who have just disappeared. There are people who are leaving in anger because they did this or didn't do this, or they required that, or they didn't require that, or they listened to the government, or they didn't listen to the government. But there are faithful people who stay because they love the church, they love the Lord, and they love the preaching of the word. But we're tempted to be angry at one another because someone's wearing this or, or not wearing this, or because someone is deciding on this medical treatment and, that, and not, someone not choosing that medical treatment. And we're tempted to be angry at one another. But our true battle, brothers and sisters, is not against flesh and blood. And it is very important that we are clothed with Christ and weaponized with the word and with prayer. Because when our focus is not on Christ and his word and prayer, our focus gets off on something else. Maybe a news media outlet that you prefer. Maybe a politician that you follow on Twitter. Maybe a podcast or a blog that you follow. But brothers and sisters, these people often are there to divide us and not to unite us. But the word is what unites us. Is that correct? So what should we be spending our most time with? These podcasts talking all about what's happening in Portland and Washington and Hong Kong, or should we be spending the majority of our time in the Word? I would hope you'd say the majority of the time should be in the Word and in prayer. And I hope that this passage encourages you to possibly adjust your habits to be clothed with Christ and to be weaponized with the Word and prayer. I want to tackle this portion of Scripture in two parts. First, I want to examine the true nature of the battle, which is verses 10 through 12. And second, I want to examine how we enter this true battle in verses 13 through 20. So here we go. First, the true nature of our battle. In the first few verses, we are introduced to our ally, our enemy, and our battlefield. First, our ally is God himself. Chapter 10 of verse 6 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So I'll be reading portions of Scripture as I go through. 
uh, to save a little bit of time because I spent so much time already breaking preaching rules. Verse 10, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Our strength is in the Lord. Our strength is not in ourselves or our own wisdom. Our strength is not in the wisdom of our favorite writer or our favorite blog. Our strength is in the Lord. And we are commanded to be strong in the Lord because he is our true ally. We sometimes look to psychology. We sometimes look to political philosophies and powers. We tend to look at people with university degrees, or we tend to look at the science and facts. I should have done quotes right there. We think we know how to handle what's coming in the future and in the battle to come if we just listen to the right people and the right experts. But often this focus is on worldly wisdom. I'm reminded of John Bunyan's favorite book, Pilgrim's Progress. You may have seen the collection of Pilgrim's Progress in Pastor Jeff's home office. I don't know if it's still there or not, but anyway, he loves the book. Christian was told by evangelists to go to the wicked gate, and by that gate he would enter the narrow path, and by that path he would lose his burden by coming to the cross. But Christian meets a Mr. Worldly Wise Man who gave him advice to go to Mr. Legality's house because it is much easier to go there, and he would remove Christian's burden. But we ought not listen to Worldly Wise Man. Now, yes, it's fine to listen to podcasts, to know what's going on in the world, and in fact, it might be very wise to understand what's going on, especially in your own community, But what do we listen to the most? The Word of God, so that we can have the Word of God and use it to enter the battle through prayer. We need to know God, and we need to follow Him. He is our ally, so we must be strong in the Lord. So the question I have that you ought to ask yourself is, is God my ally? Here are some evaluation, thank you. Here are some evaluation questions. Do you spend more time listening to the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of Scripture? Do you spend more time worrying about the future or watching how you walk in this world, in your church, in your home, with your children, in your work, in your neighborhood? Are you strengthening your personal relationships with your church, spouse, children, immediate community? Or are you busying yourself with strengthening your political arguments? Okay, the last questions were about you, but we'll ignore that again. Breaking preaching rules. When God is your ally, he is your guide, he is your master, he is your wisdom, he is your life support. And he cannot be any of this if you do not know him from his word. So I ask again, is God your ally? Next, Paul continues by confronting us with our true enemy. Verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Our enemy wants us to make people our enemy. Remember the context of the passage. I keep bringing it up. The immediate context is about immediate relationships, your church, your family, your communities. We all have struggles within these relationships. And our enemy wants us to think our biggest problem are other people. But Paul is telling us that our struggle is not against the other people. Do not make the other people your enemy, your wife, your husband, your children, your pastor, your fellow church member, your neighbor, your pol- your, the politicians you don't like. Because our struggle is against spiritual forces of darkness. They are our enemy. And really, if you think about it, in this passage, we are called to stand firm in the Lord ourselves and to be clothed in the armor of God ourselves. So really, our biggest struggle is not even against the spiritual forces behind the, China, the Communist Party in China or the struggle of my neighbor or the struggle of my wife. My biggest problem and my biggest battle, like Luke Skywalker being tempted by the darkness, my biggest battle that I face is being tempted by the spiritual darkness of this world that is battling against me. Therefore, I must be clothed with the armor of God, and I must be standing strong in the Lord. So, Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God because without it, we are susceptible to spiritual darkness. So really, it's not your fellow church member that you're really having a problem with. It is yourself. It is myself who needs to battle against the spiritual forces of darkness. And honestly, brothers and sisters, I think that our churches... Almost said church, but our churches are are struggling with this. There have been there's been so much disunity and 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 unrest because so many of us will not stop to think about what how am I responsible for the disunity that I feel? How am I responsible for the anger I have towards this other person? So we need to stop and think about how are we doing with the fruit of the Spirit. Let's take that. With love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Even in the midst of chaos and crisis, we ought to be walking by the Spirit. And we shouldn't be waiting for our neighbor or our spouse or our children or our pastor or our fellow church member or our employer or our employee to be walking by the Spirit first. It is us. But I said also this passage talks about our context in the heavenly places. Paul uses this phrase several times in Ephesians. In chapter 1, he says that we have been blessed in Christ in the heavenly places. And in chapter 2, he says... We have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. 
he talks about these spiritual forces of darkness often as well. So where is this battle happening? Is it in space? Well, John read the context. The immediately preceding context of this passage is relationships. The battlefield is really waging and going on, especially in relationships. And therefore, brothers and sisters, we need to enter this battle properly. And that's where Paul continues, verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist on the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now I said that this section, verses 13 through 17, Paul has explained to us that we need to be clothed with Christ. So what does that mean? How do we understand that this passage is telling us to put on Christ? Well, first, Paul has already told us that this is God's armor. This is not our armor that we make ourselves. We could not make our own righteousness. We could not make our own holiness. We just sang that. But God himself made this armor. Second, each piece of armor is connected with Jesus somewhere else in the New Testament. We are to put on the belt of truth, Paul says. And in John 14, 6, Jesus is called the truth. We are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And in 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul tells us that Christ is our righteousness. We are to strap on our feet the gospel of peace. And through the gospel work of Christ, we now have peace with God according to Romans 5.1. We are to take up the shield of faith. And 1 Timothy 2.13 tells us that even when we are faithless, Christ is faithful. We are to take up the helmet of salvation, and 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us that Christ accomplished our salvation through his work on the cross. And finally, we are to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And John 1.14 clearly makes it clear. And John 1 makes it, uh, John 1.1 makes it very clear that Jesus is the Word. Thinking that you can enter this battle without a biblical knowledge of Christ is like entering a sword fight naked and unarmed. It will go poorly. What does this mean to actually be clothed with Christ? How do we put on the armor of God? Well, first, it means that you trust Christ alone for your salvation. It means that you acknowledge your sinfulness, you acknowledge your rebellion against a creator, against a good God. But it also means that you acknowledge Christ's perfect life. Where you failed, Christ succeeded and earned your positive righteousness. So when we were told to put on righteousness, we put on Christ's righteousness. And he earned our positive righteousness and we trust that. But not only that, what happens to our sin? 
Our sin is taken care of on the cross as Christ was crucified and took the wrath of God on our behalf. Christ was perfect. He should not have been killed and crucified. We should have, but Christ did that in our place, and we trust that. We trust that suffering. We don't trust our suffering. So you trust Christ's work, but also you trust his resurrection. You trust that he did not stay dead, and he could not stay dead because he was not a sinful man. He satiated God's wrath. He rose from the dead. He now sits at the right hand of the Father, and what is he doing? He is praying with all knowledge on our behalf. He's praying for us, for his saints. So the question is, have you put on Christ? Do you trust Christ? Do you trust Christ alone? We sing, we'll sing in a moment, song, Yet not I, but through Christ in me. And the first verse helps us understand this truth and that we have nothing to give, we have nothing that we can earn, that we must trust in Christ alone. The first verse says, What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness, and freedom, my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold. My hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Or the song we just sang two songs ago. The verse says, No list of sins have I not done. No list of virtues I pursue. No list of those I am not like can earn myself a place with you. Brothers and sisters, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to God's word alone, for God's glory alone. Do you trust Christ? Have you put on Christ? This is not just a one-time thing. Putting it, we don't just say, oh, yeah, I prayed that prayer. You will be transformed if you have put on Christ. Where we are positionally seated with Christ in the heavenly places, we will act upon properly and accordingly in where we are now living. When we put on Christ's righteousness, it, 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 it transforms us into righteousness. We are being sanctified. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. We're being conformed to his holiness. We're being conformed to his faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, daily we need to be transformed into the image of Christ. Friends, if you do not trust Christ, trust him now. There is no other time to be clothed with Christ But now, if you go home, you may just forget all about this sermon. In fact, you know, the majority of it, you might forget. You'll forget all my preaching, breaking of rules, but trust Christ alone. Do not go into the battle naked and unarmed. 
Paul goes on, tells us how else to enter the battle. We take up, or we enter the battle wielding the sword, wielding the word in prayer. Starting again in verse 17. And take up the helmet of salvation and what? The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So we take up the sword of the Spirit. And what do we do? Verse 18. And with every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. Let's take a look at verse 18 first. Paul is pointing out in this verse that the most effective prayers are those done in the Spirit. In fact, he says, with every prayer and request, we are to pray at all times in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean, especially from this context. It doesn't mean we pray gibberish that we don't understand. That's never an idea in Scripture that we would just be praying without actually knowing what we're praying. We are to know what we're praying. We will pray, Paul says, I will pray with my mind as well as my spirit. Well, Paul told us to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and to pray in the spirit immediately after that. My understanding of this passage is that we are to be taking our knowledge of the scriptures and we are to be using that knowledge to to shape our prayers for one another. Now, Pastor Jeff did not ask me to preach this sermon or this passage. And I, in fact, I was supposed to preach this two weeks ago. But in the providence of God, what did Pastor Jeff send out on Friday via email? How to pray the scriptures by personalizing Paul's prayers. Isn't God great? It's just, I open up my email on Friday and I see that Pastor Jeff sent that and I'm like, oh, there's my application point, which was the application point this past week, right? Using the scriptures to pray for one another. That is what Paul is saying. In our church in Vienna, we pray together the Lord's Prayer every week from the book of Matthew. So that we know that when we don't know what to pray for, we can at least pray the Lord's Prayer and that shapes us and our mind, and our thoughts, and then we, it springboards us into ways to pray according to the scriptures. But this document about personalizing Paul's prayer is a perfect practical application for this passage here. Because in this passage here, Paul is saying to pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, Be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. Brothers and sisters, we can take the scriptures, we can take the prayers of Paul, we can take the other prayers within scripture, we can take our knowledge of what we learned from the scriptures and we can pray for one another. And we ought to pray for one another according to the scriptures. But Paul also gives us some practical prayer points in our passage here, verse 19 and verse 20. And I'll also be looking at Colossians in just a moment. 
Verse 19, and pray on, in my behalf that speech may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, Colossians 4, 2 through 4 is a parallel passage here, and he says this. It's very similar. Colossians 4, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the, time, at, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I have been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to proclaim it. So you see there, there's a, some different elements, but I think that those elements kind of like fill in what Paul is saying here in verses 19 to 20. Well, what are Paul's specific requests? First, that God would give him the words to speak in every opportunity to proclaim the gospel. In Colossians, he's saying um, that he would have opportunity and that he would have words to speak in those opportunities. That is something we ought to be praying for one another, and that's something that I covet as a missionary, especially ministering in a different language, it would be great if God would give me very specific words, perhaps words I don't know, to speak properly to those in another language. But here in English, it's still hard, isn't it? Even when you're speaking a language where you have a ton of the words in your mind, but it gets so jumbled up sometimes when you're trying to explain the gospel or explain a truth uh, from the word of God to another person. It gets jumbled up. So what do we pray for? Well, in the opportunities that we have, we pray that God would make to our minds it clear what we should be speaking through our mouths. That's something we could pray for one another. That's something I need prayer for. Second, he's asking for boldness to proclaim the gospel truths to a world hostile to God and his truth. Gideon has been in the schools for, the, for four years now. And it's fascinating. Just a couple weeks before we came here, so in June, uh, I was talking to uh, uh, one of the parents of one of his friends and we're walking back to our homes from the school after walking our children to school. And she started asking me questions. She knew I was a pastor for the past four years, but she started asking me some questions about, okay, what's the difference between you and a priest? You're a priest? No. And, and there I had an opportunity. And so the Lord gave me the proper words to, to be able to differentiate between us and the Catholic Church, namely, the solas of the Reformation, right? That we are saved by grace alone, not by our works. We are saved through faith alone. We are not by our own sufferings. We are saved uh, by Christ alone, not having to have another mediator like a priest. And we are saved according to the scriptures alone. We, didn't, we don't need church history, although church history is very important. Hear me say that. But we need scriptures alone for all that we need to know about the gospel, and it's to God's glory alone. 
And after four years, I finally had that opportunity and I was able to explain this to her. And then, interestingly enough, just a couple days later, Danielle was at the park with all the kids and the parents, and they were asking her, so what exactly are you guys doing? Like, what, what is it exactly that you guys believe? Because, you know, if you're not part of the Catholic Church or the Lutheran Church, you could be a sect. I mean, that's just what they think. They don't know much about um, anything other than that. And Danielle was able to clarify again. It's about uh, grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, according to the word of God alone, for his glory alone. So pray that we would be able to clarify the gospel and pray that we would have boldness when that time comes up. There are times where I'm terrified. You know, just a couple weeks ago, we, a handful of us went to the panel Prague to hand out um, tracts and to hand out information about um, the church here. Is Charlie here today? Well, anyway, I, I had just enough boldness to talk with a, a guy and, and engage him in conversation. And, and, uh, and, and, and I needed that boldness from Christ because even I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be a missionary who's a great missionary who goes out there and saves the world. And no, I, I need the boldness, just like Paul needed that boldness, just like you need that boldness. Lastly, Paul asks for clarity in his words. In the very last words that he says in, in the Ephesians passage, passage in uh, verse eight, uh, 20, uh, he says, as I ought to speak, in the way I ought to speak. And in, in Corinthians, he kind of makes it clearer. He says that I may make the gospel clear in the way that I ought to proclaim it. So we pray. We pray that we have opportunity and the right words to speak. We pray that we have boldness to proclaim the gospel and biblical truth in general in a world that hates biblical truth. We need that boldness but also that we would be very clear as to what the scriptures actually say. Because it's going to be the word of God and the spirit that's going to change hearts and minds, not our wise words ourselves, not our arguments. Brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in a war. I hope I've convinced you of that. I hope I've convinced you that what God is saying from his word is that we are not battling with one another. We are battling against a spiritual force, darkness. We ought not walk in the ways of the world, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, but we need to be made alive in Christ, and we need to, by grace, be saved. And in chapter 2, verse 10, We need to understand we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has prepared beforehand. And what does that mean? We need to be clothed with Christ daily, trusting his righteousness, his holiness, trusting his truth. We need to take up his word and we need to wield it in prayer for one another. We need to see through all of the division, all of the fear. We need to see through all of the rhetoric which 
or tries to divide us. And in our own hearts, we need to trust Christ daily, take up his word, and be in prayer for one another. One last thing I want to say. You might want to take a moment to think of the person in your immediate context who you might be having the biggest struggle with. And my suggestion is to take the personalized prayers of Paul or the prayers of Paul and personalize them to that person. Because it gets really hard to be disgruntled with someone when you are praying the prayers of Paul for that person. I suggest you start with your church, as Paul did in Ephesians 5.15. And you pray for your spouse, as Paul told us, to live with our spouses in verses 20 plus. I don't, I just closed my Bible. Shouldn't do that, not until you're done. Another preaching rule that I broke. Out of practice here, I wish I had my manuscript. But also with your children and your parents, and also with your greater community, where you work, where you live. Brothers and sisters, let's be in prayer for one another.